0: Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore NJ Watson. And on this month's Paper Scripts, we will be answering your TV writing questions about character names, packaging, 2020 TV spec scripts, and as well as TV business news about HBO Max movies, rebranding, and Netflix title removal. So let's get started right now. <music> At the start of this episode, we're going to mention the huge success of our 2020 Paper Team Mixer that happened at the end of uh, January.
1: That's right. It was an amazing time and amazing turnout as well. I believe, you know, we actually came a little bit late to our own mixer as we were both coming straight from work. So we were there when things were dying down a little bit more. But we had our editor, Alex Switzky, who was there to greet everyone from 730. And he was saying there was, you know, maybe 50 to 100 people who showed up.
0: Yeah, I was there a bit earlier than you. So I was able to uh, sort of uh, network and and socialize with our listeners. It was really an amazing turnout. I feel like it was probably... I wanna see like maybe three, four or five times bigger than the one we had last year. So that was really uh, heartening to see. And even compared to like EFF, I mean, it's so amazing every time we go out, whether it's our own mixers or own live events, or even at Austin, just how much people are not only like the show but actually listen to the show. I think it's always a surprise. <laughs> Switzky was actually just saying at the mixer uh, that he was shocked that people were listening to the show. It's like, well, I just edited like in the vacuum. I never feel like you guys have listeners, but this reminds me that actually the show that we're working on Has a ton of listeners.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess we've been doing it for almost four years and coming up on 200 episodes. So it's a real thing. We did it. (laughs) It is. We did. We made Uh, it. All right,
0: (laughs) let's call it quits while we're we're at it. We're big shots now.
1: (laughs) But yeah, it was really nice to meet some new people and also see some familiar faces who were there at the last mixer and other live events we've done. And in fact, we found out that there's a group of people who met at our first mixer about a year ago and then formed a writer's group. And they've been meeting up and workshopping each other's writing ever since. So that came about because they were all at the first mixer. And that's awesome. That's
0: pretty incredible that we have a sort of like a a paper group, paper writing group. I don't know how to call that. But uh, unlike a paper team, these were uh, organic connections that happened. (laughs) They were not forced to be together unlike us. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? Uh, That's news to me. And we also had a bunch of uh, tweets from uh,
1: those who came. Yeah. The first one is from Paige Kleniecki. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name right. And she said, had a fantastic time at the paper team mixer last night and got to meet so many cool writers. Thanks so much. And Jay Watson and TV calling for organizing such a great time and bringing all those scribes together. Well, thank you, Paige. It was nice having a conversation with you. Yeah. I think she just only moved to LA like 10 days before. So welcome to the jungle. Welcome to
0: the jungle. <laughs> we don't have the copyright to, uh, to <laughs> no. really play this for you. But Holly Halstein also said, uh, had fun last night with Carioca Extract and Paris Alley at the Paper Tea Mixer. Uh, side note, Paris and Alley is not me. That's a different person. <laughs> at TV Calling and at underscore Angie Watson, I didn't get a chance to say hi, but thank you for bringing us all together. Uh, we met some cool uh, writers. Hashtag writing community. Well, thank you for coming and uh, joining our mixer. Absolutely. And another tweet
1: uh, that actually came before the mixer was from Jack Furman, who said, I drove my mom crazy on our cross-country road trip listening to Paper Team podcast. I can't wait to meet the community IRL with TV Calling and NJ
0: Watson Friday. So uh, did you get a chance to meet Jack there? Maybe I was too late. I did not. But maybe uh, we can ask Alex Switzky if he did. And then we can uh, go on our own uh, cross-country road with our mothers and (laughs) listen to to Jack's podcast. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's
1: what we've gotten ourselves in for now. But yeah, I hope we had a good time at the uh, the mixer jack and no doubt we'll see you at the next one
0: All right, moving on from our January Mixer, we also had some feedback about past episodes from listener Dave Crossman, especially on our PT-167 scraps episode, which I did with uh, Evelyn. David said, I listened to the latest podcast today, and uh, there was a little section about big data at the end. I work in big data. I worked mostly for video game companies for over the last 16 years, and I also did an interview at Hulu, but a game company called Back First. Anyway, based on my knowledge of the industry and how big data data is used to analyze user behavior and make recommendation engines, I can guarantee that they collect a lot of data, but not as much as they would like obvious stuff like what you're watching, where you're watching it on, how often you watch, what genres you watch, how long you've been a member, how often you've turned on and off your subscription, how quickly new content is consumed, time of day, the effectiveness of recommendations, A-B test on layout and cover images, region, language preferences, how long it takes you to press the are you still watching button, the skip intro button, etc. Somebody like me uses it to help make business decisions on what QA should fix the ROI on content purchased and produced, how deep users go before they make a selection, how quickly users find a show through the search bar, product changes that affect user retention, etc. It's a deep and crazy world out there with big data. Well, I mean, all of those are still a lot of data, (laughs) i am got to say. Now, personally, this is something I mentioned in that episode. In particular, my own experience working on Netflix show, I do know for a fact that half of those we've been exposed to ourselves in the context of they don't really give us numbers in terms of audience, uh, not necessarily the retention rate, but even uh, just pure viewership numbers. They don't really give that information out. It's a bit of a black box. However, they did show us, for example, uh, what you mentioned in terms of the A-B test and the layout and the cover images, things that are more specific to the service, but objectively aren't really useful to us as writers because. I may be aware of a specific character's image is gonna lead to someone clicking on the show to consume it or watch it, but that doesn't really impact the writing, especially when the writing is of a new season compared to the first season that aired. So all this data isn't useful from a writing perspective. That doesn't undermine the fact that it is a bit scary that Netflix and all the other OTTs have so much data.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting kind of system. You know, Having studied psychology for a while, uh, I've looked at some of that kind of stuff before as well in my studies and, and also just understanding like statistical analyses of these things. And I think importantly for me, one of the things is that it's so hard to draw real causation between X and Z and these different things. Like, yes, you can change the cover picture or you can sit there and look at how long people watch into a show before they pause it or turn it off or whatever. But you can never say, well, that's because the writing was bad or this is, if we change the characters here, it'll make people want to watch the show even more. All you're doing is making guesses and hoping that this uh, correlation or whatever is, you know, what you think it is. And so I think it's it's kind of a dangerous world to play in once it starts crossing over into the creative
0: side yeah, of things and uh,
1: forming decisions.
0: I definitely agree with what you're saying. And, and that's why I was saying that in terms of our own experiences, on uh, at least uh, the show I was on. It didn't really impact in any way, shape or form the writing of it because it's bits of data that don't really impact a creative decision that is gonna be made about the way a character behaves or does or the way an arc is gonna play out. Also, there's production reasons for why a certain character has to end up in a certain way. Maybe the actor doesn't wanna sign up for another season so we have to get rid of them or uh, on the contrary, they're under contract. So we need them to service a certain story for a certain number of episodes and so forth. So, objectively speaking, I don't feel like the data that they either provide or don't provide, but at least the data that they collect is necessarily useful for us as creatives. I'm just a bit wary in general, and I think that was my comment in, in the last episode, just the fact that a lot of people talk ad nauseum about the data that Facebook, Google, all those web search services and social media companies have on us, but not many people talk about the data that the OTT services are amassing in this context, Netflix in particular. And so that that's That's just something I feel like should be uh, talked about more or at least discussed in the wider sense of the fact that this is a service that can tell what you're doing, unlike usually what a linear channel would be able to do unless you're a, a Nielsen family. Now, in terms of the podcast itself, this is something that we've hinted at last year, but we can tell you guys that we are continuing our big showrunner series where we sit down with a showrunner to discuss their staffing process and uh, their process of breaking stories. Last year, you may remember, we sat down with Aaron Elikolite of the Netflix show Daybreak to talk about his process, and we have another amazing guest coming up on the podcast.
1: Yeah, that's right. We're going to be sitting down with Mike Scully, who is a very longtime writer on The Simpsons. Uh, he's also worked on Parks and Rec. Uh, Everybody loves Raymond, uh, a million incredible shows. And he is now co show running and creating his own animated show called Duncanville that Amy Poehler is also producing and starring in. So we have a really great conversation with him coming up, and uh, you'll have to tune in and check it out.
0: Absolutely. It's coming out in the next couple of weeks. And uh, we also have some Patreon shout outs to give because guess what? We have new people subscribing to our Patreon. All right, well, thanks to Andy, David, Claudio,
1: Joshua, Michael, John, Montana, Penn, Tony, and JB. Ah, jb june
0: Ooh. from the uh i'm assuming Unless there's another jb who's, who's joined <laughs> it's another jb june It's twin
1: <laughs> he's uh, uh with caged dogs that's his uh sure, sure.
0: let's go with that he i uh, actually saw jb i don't know if you saw him at the yeah, mixer yeah. so right, uh you know.
1: he was uh, fantastic yeah so thank you all so much for subscribing to patreon it really means a lot to us and it helps bring you even more great content so keep it up
0: Let's get into some of your own TV writing questions. And the first one is an email by longtime listener and longtime writer Varta, who wrote us about character names. And she said, Hi guys, I'm so bummed I couldn't make it to the mixer. I was looking forward to finally meeting you guys in person. But as it often happens, I got caught up in work. I hope I'll be able to make it next time. That's so many questions I wanted to ask you. I guess I'll have to write some of them now. Let's start with. How do you pick names for your characters? That choice always fascinates me. Do you have uh, go-to names that sound cool and you like to recycle them in each script? Or do you try to find the perfect match for each character, a name that immediately conveys who that person is? Do you have a trick, like maybe their name means something in another language and that perfectly encapsulates the essence of the character? Or do you have names you hate, names you see repeating in other people's scripts, like the ubiquitous Cates and Jeans? And what about surnames? Any advice on how to match first names with surnames so that it sounds mellifluous and catchy uh, because the bar? was set really high with bond james bond do you look up the origins of a name check if there are real people with that name do you find it hard to use names of people you know because it reminds you of that person or do you use names of people and celebrities on purpose if you are trying to draw inspirations from them and lastly if you were to choose your own alter ego name what would it be Uh, i'll save the rest of my questions for the next mixer thank you so much for indulging me best varta
1: well, those are some great questions about names. And yeah, it's it's a fun process, I think, trying to choose the character names that are right. I think that when you're first coming up with ideas and developing stuff, you might have almost like a placeholder name in mind or, you know, this kind of character or whatever. But then, at least for me, I feel like the name kind of changes a bit as it goes through, at least with some of the supporting characters, perhaps, you know, the, the main characters is, is a little bit more locked down. But uh, to answer, I guess, some of those questions, how do we choose those names? It really just depends. I feel like one of the main things is just making sure that all the names sound different enough from each other, especially in terms of the letters that they start with, maybe varying a little bit so that not every name is just like a one syllable thing or even ones that kind of like rhyme or whatever. If you're like John and Ron or whatever, you know, unless that's the joke, you want to kind of be careful about that so that again, they don't blend together and people are going down the page. That's one thing to keep in mind.
0: I can talk a bit about my own process and even my experiences in the rooms. I mean, personally, the way I picked names at the beginning, it's a bit of a placeholder unless I sort of know The names that convey certain uh, background, like you mentioned in your questions. Sometimes I do look up the origins of names, especially if it's like something a bit sci-fi or genre-y. If it's something more like a peer piece, I can tell you both based on my own pilots, but also shows I've worked on, there's actual research that's being made in terms of figuring out names that are relevant to the period. I mean, it could just be Googling popular names from the 1900s or 1700s and just seeing what comes up. Alternatively, like Nick said, it's also about varying those names. From a production standpoint, we go through the alphabet. we know that, okay, we need to fill out a name that is an F or a G or a J or whatever the letter that's missing. And then even just looking up at the board, above the board, the cast list, at the different headshots, uh, we can see the different names that they have. And that way, we can at least track, oh, wait, we can't uh, name this person Walton because we have a white, or we can't really name that person Damon because we have a Dalton. And that also tracks the gender. So for example, if we have a Mark, we may not name someone Monica because Mark and Monica might be confusing. And that's at least for the first name. In terms of the surnames, part of the decision, in my mind, also ties to who they are in terms of the family tree, but also how that name sounds. I don't really have like any prescriptive advice about finding uh, cool surnames to match with a first name. It's hard to really narrow down what is going to feel right until you actually hear it. In fact, you could actually speak it out loud to see if it actually sounds right. Yeah, honestly, I think a lot of it is just
1: what sounds cool to you. And that's going to be different for everybody. I think sometimes when you go too far towards, you know, making someone's last name sound like cool and reflective of the idea you want to give off with them, it can come off a little bit contrived, like you got a character that's like John Hardcastle or whatever, because he's a gritty New York cop. And then it just, you know, it feels a little bit cheesy sometimes. So I'd be careful about going too out of your way to be obvious or make puns in people's names, unless it's, you know, very specifically for comedy. I think that there are just certain names that sound, you know, funnier in comedy, like Chad or, you know, whatever it happens to be, or names even that connotate a certain thing to people. Like when you think about a Chad, you think about some jerk who's like a jock or a douchebag or that kind of thing. So if you're wanting to evoke that to people just via the name, and that might be something that factors into your choice. One thing that I came up for me, I guess, when I was coming out with some names for a project I'm working on right now, is that often I feel like for many people the names that first come to your head, like you said, are the Johns and the Kates. And they're all very homogenous and westernized. So one thing that I actively tried to do was go and look up common names from different cultures and different countries all around the world. So that when I was going and looking for the name of a supporting character or, you know, anyone, I don't just instantly go to like Steve, Bob, Ron, or whatever. I can actually go and see like, you know, trying to incorporate some diversity, even in those characters around them. So that it's not just an automatic thing in your head.
0: Yeah, and when it comes to sort of the practicalities of the writer's room, usually when someone pitches a new character, let's say, in the room, and they might throw some kind of placeholder name, like Jake, or like you said, Chad, sort of usually to fit the vibe of who the character is, but it's always as a placeholder. And then later on, that name, it may or may not change in terms of the the cards, the notes, the outline, the script, but at the point where it at least goes to network and studio, we have a pretty set definition of who that person and that character is on a name basis. And then later on, before production starts, the script coordinator on that show is gonna fact check the name to make sure that there's no legal repercussions for using a certain person's name. And that way there's no conflict in terms Representing that person whose uh, name is a John Smith or whatever. The, the line is a bit blurry in the sense of, on one hand, you don't want to be so specific that there's only a couple of those exact people named, in which case they would feel targeted. But on the flip side, you can't be so generic that it's something that's too broad and non specific, like a John Smith type, that isn't going to convey who this character is and isn't going to serve as a story. But I guess that is why, in practicalities, a lot of shows have your Kates and your Johns in terms of produce shows is because it's probably the least uh, "quote unquote" offensive or problematic name on a clearance perspective. The one way you can get around that, at
1: least in comedy, is if you're trying to directly satirize something. So, for example, in a script that I wrote, there was a character who was an American president and his name was Ronald Shrub. And so he was sort of like a portmanteau mixing together of like a, a Reagan and a Bush and a Trump before Trump was even elected. So it's clearly like alluding to someone without directly saying he is this exact character.
0: Right, yeah. What I was referring to wasn't necessarily a reference to someone else. It was more like on a a legal perspective and on a practical perspective of the writer's rooms. Usually the script coordinator is going to be the person in charge of clearing those names. In terms of personal projects, honestly, like I usually have placeholder names that I enjoy using that convey a certain sense of who this character is. And you have more freedom in that context than you do, I feel like, in a writer's room. Because in a writer's room, you are uh, beyond the alphabet uh, thing that we mentioned before. You are forced to deal with the realities of- uh, legal perspective, but also how that's going to play out long-term if there's a conflict with uh, a network head and uh, so forth. I mean, there's a lot of uh, players that you got to keep in mind in a way that when you're just running your own script, you only have yourself to deal with and the people around you potentially. But when you're on a show, you don't want to name the bad guy after the name of the studio that you're working for or the network, uh, because I've <laughs> definitely seen those kinds of a semi-subtle of tries at getting a dig at someone or a uh, conversely there was a show where one of the heroes of that show was named after uh, one of the executives giving notes so that it would feel a bit emboldened by it
1: <laughs> that's pretty funny i've also been on shows you know especially long-running shows where they're just sitting trying to come up with names they'll name a number of the sporting characters after random people on the staff like the art department pa or the writer's assistant or whoever just happens to be they'll use their last name or a name that sounds a lot like them because also if, if you're the one who shows up in the clearance report then you can just be like that's fine <laughs> <You know?
0: laughs> and uh, lastly we almost uh, forgot to answer her final question which was if you were to choose your own alter ego name what would it be i don't know i've always liked the name elliot james
1: elliot james yeah there you go that would be my author alter ego or something if i ended up writing a book i didn't want people to know it was me but now they will so i've got to find a new one (laughs) thanks varda (laughs) What about you, Alex? I would be called uh, Zach Pizzazz <laughs> after the. Is that a BoJack? Point? Is that
0: a, it's a good place reference good. from uh, from Ted Denson, when he tries to uh, bring back Jason uh, to go to Australia with him when he's erased his memory <laughs> oh, yes. in the in the third season. He's like, I'm I'm Zach Pizzazz. <laughs> You're gonna come come with me. I feel like that fits my vibe uh, pretty well. Definitely, uh, <laughs> Zach Pizzazz. <laughs> Okay. All right, let's, let's take move on. Yeah, take it. <laughs> exactly. Let's move on with uh, Emma who uh, emailed us about one big uh, Patreon issue that we wanted to address. Emma says, Hey,
1: I'm a scriptwriter from Ireland, living in New Zealand, and I'm an avid listener of the Paper Team podcast. It's been such a vital part of my screenwriting journey. And it is for this exact reason I'm trying to become a Patreon. But for some reason, every time I click on the link and attempt to subscribe, it won't let me. I keep waiting for the page to load. I watch the circle go round and round, but nothing happens. This is so frustrating because I really want to become more involved in the community of writers who post scripts and get feedback because they are patrons of the podcast. If you can help me I'd really appreciate it. Thanks in advance, Emma.
0: Yeah, so that's a bit of a, a tricky question in the sense of that's not really on our side that the promises to be happening. It seems to be happening either on uh, the Patreon website itself or by a browser that you are using, especially if you are, let's say, on a mobile phone, that may be tricky to register on a Patreon. I will note that you are in New Zealand. However, the different continents should not influence the ability to subscribe to our Patreon campaigns. So, uh, I feel like it could be a potential browser issue that's at play here.
1: Yeah, I'm fairly certain that we have patrons from Australia at the very least, and I don't think anyone's reported any problems with that before. So, yeah, exactly like Alex said, I would try different browsers. If you're using Chrome or Firefox, try a different one. Try Safari, try whatever. Try it on your phone, and even if there's an... I think there's probably a Patreon app you can download as well, so maybe give that a shot, too. And if all of that's still happening, maybe even send an email to like the Patreon support and tell them what's going on, because it could be a website
0: issue for you. Absolutely, yeah. That does sound like, like I said, either like a personal issue on the browser side or the patreon if it is actually a patreon issue then uh like nick said it should be addressed with support uh, over there as opposed to us but if you keep having all those issues and uh you're still stuck uh, send us an email and we'll figure it out we'll call a patreon on your behalf and storm the hq yeah
1: we certainly want all of our listeners to be able to take part in that community so yeah we hope to see you there soon uh, we have one last email from Jennifer about specs to write in 2020, and her email says, Hey, I teach a writing for TV class, and I've introduced my class to your website. This semester, we are writing specs in class, and I'm wondering if you'll be putting out a best specs to write for 2020 list. Thanks.
0: Well, the answer is yes, I will be uh, putting out my annual uh, spec script list. I actually answered one of your students on Twitter and uh, she said, I love TV calling. My TV screenwriting class is using it for class and we're going over which shows we should uh, each uh, spec soon. My professor said we get extra credit if we email her as soon as the 2020 spec list comes out. Nice. Do you have any uh, ETA by chance? I answered uh, by saying there's no set ETA, but probably towards the end of next month. So that would be end of uh, perhaps a uh, February, uh, aka when this episode is released or at the very least in March so that's usually when it comes out in the meantime I would definitely check out at the very least the Warner Brothers list and the NBC writers on the verge list in fact that's actually a uh, breaking news we should address on this podcast that we haven't done yet That NBC, the Writers on the Verge program, is moving towards two pilots this year instead of a spec, uh, mimicking the uh, Disney writing program. So, putting aside uh, NBC Writers on the Verge and Disney for a second, the Warner Brothers program has already published their list of acceptable specs. So, I'll be cross-referencing that on my list, which is coming out probably next month. So now that Disney and NBC are no longer doing specs, which
1: programs are actually still asking for them?
0: So definitely this year, at least the CBS Writers Mentoring Program is accepting both an original pilot and a spec script of an existing show. Nickelodeon is also accepting primarily spec scripts, I believe. And then of course you have, as I just mentioned, Warner Brothers, which is only uh, spec scripts. Yeah, there's actually
1: a new writing program from NBC Universal uh, for their Animation Writers Program. And they are also accepting specs of uh, animated shows as well
0: you're going to submit a bojack horseman i wonder if uh that would be accepted in like a specifically i don't think so there is a list online and also you're
1: not allowed to submit if you have been staffed before so uh, i'm not in the the fellowship race not eligible
0: now our next question comes from uh, dave crossman on our tv writers room uh, group and he says does anybody know if we can submit more than one teaser for the paper tease session i'm drawing a blank thank you
1: Well, that is a great question, Dave. I don't think we've ever directly addressed that or not in our guidelines. So to give you the answer here and now, the answer is, if you've never had your teaser read out on air before, you are welcome to submit as many times as you want until we eventually choose you to be on air. But once you're chosen, we won't select any more of your teasers. You kind of get that one shot. That is, unless you're an active Patreon supporter, in which case you are eligible to be selected as many times as we like. Absolutely.
0: And just as a reminder, paper patron subscribers have access to that guaranteed paper Tease slot. So like Nicter said, if you are submitting continuously through uh, your Patreon or the regular Paper Tease entry system, you will be eligible to get feedback
1: on your teaser. So not only are you more likely to be selected, but you can be selected more than once. So just more reasons to join our Patreon.
0: And on that note, we also have a question from Matthew Davis, who said, should an unsigned writer seek representation with the same talent agency as the A-list actor-producer who wants to produce his or her TV series, Or should the writer look to a more boutique agency for representation? Or should the writer hire a lawyer to negotiate the deal? Well, this is one of those questions that doesn't have a, a clear
1: answer, and also it really is contextual on what's going on. Like, do you have a deal on the table right now where a studio is making you an offer to buy your pilot or, you know, put your script in development, whatever it happens to be? Do you have an agent who's making you an offer right this second, or is this all just sort of theoretical up in the air? So my thoughts on the first question regarding whether you should be signed to the same talent agency as an A-list actor-producer who wants to produce your show— there are pros and cons to that. I think a lot of the time, the reason why people get a list actors and producers to attach to your show is because they're at the same agency or management thing in the first place. Now, obviously this isn't what's happened in this situation, but it does open up that avenue to you for those agencies to be packaging these things internally. Now packaging has its own problems as we've seen played out in the trades lately, but that is one thing that you have going for you. The issue with that is potentially that they might uh, negotiate against their clients' best interest because they are the ones all on the same side.
0: Yeah. Putting aside the issue with packaging uh, for a moment. I would say on the macro level, seeking representation based on a singular project is a bit of a short-term game in my mind because hopefully the reason why you're signing with a specific rep is for your career, especially when we're talking about management or agents it should be a long-term game. Uh, an agent, broadly speaking, would be more for a single project, projects while a manager is more for the career as a whole. But regardless of why you're signing with a particular person, ideally, this is a person you wanna work with for the long run and for yourself. It's not something that should only be defined as, if I sign with this agent, I'm gonna be having so much access to these other actors or producers and so forth. It could be one of the issues that you're considering when you're weighing options, but but I don't think that should be the forefront reason for why you're signing with so-and-so and not so-and-so. Yeah, I would say if there's a deal on the table right
1: now and this producer or actors under this agency and there's an agent there who's like, sign up with me and we'll negotiate the deal for you, I would be wary about that just because they're not going to negotiate hard against themselves and then they're going to be cutting themselves in on the 10% from your end. So I would be more inclined to go with that third option and hire an entertainment lawyer to negotiate the deal itself and then after that's gone through and you have this show that you're a part of of, then you can start to look at all of your options for representation and what fits you best, whether that's a bigger company or a boutique.
0: In terms of proactive representation, to answer the the second question of uh, should the writer look to a more boutique agency for representation? I mean, that's the comment that's generally made in terms of when you're first starting out and you're up and coming, you want to go to the more boutique agencies usually because they will cater to you specifically. And it's going to be essentially the balance, like I said in the past uh, Paper Scraps episode, the balance between an agent or manager that has a lot of contact versus an agent or manager who's going to be hustling more for you as a client. And it's sort of trying to find that midway point. Obviously in the current climate, finding an agent is a little bit trickier. Again, it goes back to what you want in the long-term, not the short-term for this one project. So just thinking in terms of, I'm only signing with this person because I'm going to access this A-list, I'd be a bit worried for that topic. And just circling back on what you just said, the fact that you have a deal already in place really suggests that you should be hiring a lawyer for that one term deal. It should not be dependent on you signing to a specific agency, considering that an agency is for the long run. It's not for a one term project. So it's another thing to keep in mind. All
1: right, moving on to our TV news for this month, Uh, we have a couple of items to discuss. And the first one is uh, the story that Netflix has revealed some titles or shows have been pulled from the service over demands by the government.
0: Right. And uh, that was a big news item that got published uh, a few weeks ago. And it's kind of interesting because Netflix, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, is pretty much a black box. They don't really share internal stuff, but they actually published a report the other week where they outlined some of the episodes, the nine takedowns that were demanded by different governments around the world for specific content. Five of those came from Singapore, and the most infamous one that happened recently was Saudi Arabia, who demanded the removal of a critical episode of Patriot Act, where they were sort of going against the government from Saudi Arabia. Now, what's interesting to me about this is that Netflix is offering a a new kind of transparency and they don't seem to be going against those demands. They're kind of like saying, hey, we are being asked to do these things. Here are the nine takedown requests that are currently airing around the world. And I think part of it is like a pure move to just say, we know these takedowns are not good for free press and so forth, but our hands are a bit tied. So here's sort of like official information that uh, you can get about those different pieces of media that are not available everywhere. Because obviously Netflix is, around the world. So if you went away from Saudi Arabia, you realize, oh, wait a minute, there's a Patriot Act episode I've not seen before. So it's sort of like to short circuit that realization.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing. It seems like they're basically saying like our job is not to be journalists. Our job is to entertain people. And if we want our service to run in these areas, we have to sort of comply with these various demands. It's not like they're taking down the entire show off of all of their things and censoring the people who made it around the world because the Saudi Arabia government isn't happy with it. But you know, still in those territories, they are doing something that is kind of morally gray, I guess, but isn't that all corporations?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the risk is what is also happening with the Chinese government and international co productions, and that is essentially an element of self censorship. If you look at a lot of productions that try to get finance or co finance with China, whether we're talking about shows or movies, there's an element of self censorship that automatically happens before that show gets produced. Perhaps it involves a spirit. So we're going to reduce that element in the script or there's, we, we don't want to mention Tibet in the movie because of political reasons. So it's the, this element of catering to the other country, uh, because we want to do business with them that's potentially warring in the sense of self censorship. And so at least now we have an element of transparency with Netflix in particular. Uh, obviously the Patriot Act thing was known last year, but it's good to at least know all the takedowns that they have. Now, uh, another piece of news that we wanted to mention is the rebranding of Fox because Disney dropped the Fox moniker from a 20th Century Fox and Fox Searchlight. That's right. They are now 20th Century Studios
1: and Searchlight Pictures. And they also released new logos that you can see online at the link that you can go to. And yeah, they're essentially just trying to get rid of the name of Fox. They've actually changed all of their email addresses, too, to being Disney. So they're really working hard to kind of rebrand themselves and distance themselves as much as possible from the Fox brand and I guess the Murdochs by extension.
0: Yeah, Disney is basically using the neuralizer from Men in Black to try to erase the existence of Fox from <laughs> the history. They're like, no, this is a uh, 20th century studios. If you say Fox one more time, you'll be fired. Now, I will say personally, I probably still say Fox until I die. I just like just mentally, that's just the way I grew up. I just watched you know Fox movies. Even when talking about productions, it's easier to to just say Fox, then 20th century studios. Uh, I don't know. That's just my thing.
1: Yeah. It's like that Simpsons episode with the monorail where the woman's like, never was a monorail here and pulls in the thing that <laughs> says monorail cafe. That's going to be like Fox studios. Like there was never a Fox, <laughs> the <It was laughs> giant sign that says Fox studios. I mean, I guess there's not too much else to say about this other than it's just an interesting piece of a sign in the times of how everything's going with these companies merging together and retaking control of their brand image.
0: Do you want to introduce the other bulletin point that happened? Speaking of OTTs and studios, acquiring other people that's right i mean there's been a lot of news
1: about hbo max uh, which isn't actually coming out for people to sign up to until may of this year however there's basically making a lot of deals behind the scene and putting a lot of things in place to launch And one of the things that they've just done is made a deal with Warner Brothers to essentially produce straight to streaming movies, mid-budget level movies that will go right onto their streaming service rather than a cinematic release.
0: Yeah, I guess they're really trying to compete with uh, Netflix on the feature side. Hopefully the logo of the HBO Max movies will look less like a condom wrapper and that would be uh, of a poor taste. I
1: mean, who knows what kind
0: of movies they want to make, Alex. HBO Ultra, (laughs) XXL. Maybe the sequel to Magic Mike XXL. I feel like that would fit
1: right in. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, this is a good thing. I think the whole theatrical release of movies has really kind of caved in in the middle section. And now it's all just low budget horror or whatever, and indie Sundance films and big, huge IP blockbusters so that, you know, those mid-budget movies have fallen out of favor. And I think it's nice that there are still real places for them to go, whether it's Netflix or HBO Max or whatever it happens to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree to some extent, I definitely agree with the fact that the mid-budget movie is MIA, and so it's good to have a platform for those. I'm just worried that it's all going to be an OTT because a movie, on some level, I know I don't want to be, I don't want to pull my Martin Scorsese here, but on some level, it would be good to see movies in a movie theater and not have all the movie theaters be Disney movies, for example. And I feel like that's the danger is just the fact that everything's so consolidated on OTT services that in the future, as we all know, you know, movies are going to be called Disney's, but you can watch a Disney only on HBO Max as opposed to a Disney in a movie theater. I feel like that's going to be the the problem.
1: Well, there was also some rumbling about the Trump administration looking to abolish the rules that say yes. that um, distributors uh, can't also own exhibitors. So, you know, basically studios can't own their own movie theaters in order to prevent them from only showing mm-hmm. their own movies and creating a, a monopolization. But
0: that might be going away now, too. So yay future <laughs> now speaking of a future in the past we can confirm that there will be a friends reunion again on hbo max this is actually something i hinted at on our paper scraps episode that was a pt160 there were rumors with uh, jennifer aniston joining instagram and doing this whole thing with all the friends together ultimately hbo max said you know what We're gonna be spending $4 million per person to bring them back for an unscripted one-hour special to promote the release of Friends on HBO Max. That sounds like a
1: good deal, right? Honestly, I think it is kind of a smart move on their thing. You know, they're coming so late to the streaming game that everyone else has already kind of crowded the marketplace and HBO Max need to really make a big splash to get people's attention. And Friends is one of those shows like The Office that just has this undyingly loyal supporter base of people who have a lot of nostalgia for the show. And this is going to make a ton of news all around the world. And I think that will drive people to at least try the free trial of HBO Max and start watching Friends and then get hooked before they know it. So Yeah,
0: I just hope that it's actual content I know it's going to be like unscripted content, but even uh, when uh, Friends ended, you know, around 2004, they did so many of those specials. The most famous one is obviously the one with Oprah Winfrey, where they just look back at a decade of Friends and so forth. So if there's actually new content or at least new topics of conversation, I think that could be interesting. Just looking back on Friends from the perspective of, you know, it's been uh, 15, 20 plus years since the show, we can actually maybe talk about some of the problems with friends or some of the amazing things with friends and just look at the careers of all the people who made friends.
1: Yeah, I agree that
0: the whole just like sitting
1: on a couch and smiling and, and answering the same questions and have been answered a million times before probably wouldn't be the most satisfying thing. So here's hoping they do something new and exciting with it.
0: And speaking of something new and exciting, uh, since uh, we are now at the end of February, I got to mention that the second season of Alter Corbin, that little show I worked on, is dropping on February twenty-seven aka this week uh, when you're listening to this episode right now Alto carbon season two with anthony mackie who will also be in the winter soldier disney plus a tv show which also looks amazing is uh, dropping so check that out and maybe who knows uh, at some point in the future in 2025 we'll have a third season <laughs> yeah if you thought they altered a lot of carbon in the first season wait
1: until you see how much carbon is altered in the second <laughs> season two carbon too altered check it out <laughs>
0: All right. There's no better advertising than that. And uh, before we go, as we mentioned, we are on Patreon. So if you enjoy this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you will get access to our Paper Patreon podcast, Cheat Sheets, and the dedicated Paper T slot just for our Patreon supporters. So you can get on that at paperteam.co slash Patreon, and we can keep producing a great show like this one for you every week. Thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. You can get all the show notes for this episode at Paper Team slash 170. As always, I'm on Twitter at TV calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have your own TV writing questions that you would like answered, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Next week is an episode all about tips
1: and tricks for the TV business. Uh, We did another episode covering tips and tricks for TV writing. So this is more of the industry counterpart to that. So we'll give you uh, a lot of little Bits and pieces of advice of navigating the TV writing industry.
0: Yeah, it's going to be really jam-packed full of tips on networking, contacts, relationship management, representation, uh, juggling uh, different writing projects, as well as handling job interviews and staffing. So tune in next week for this amazing episode.
1: And we'll see you then. See you there.